Acts chapter 6, verse 1. So remember, this is right smack in the middle of a lot of crazy stuff happening in the early church. Jesus has died, risen from the dead, come back to his disciples and said, guys, here's the mission, here's the plan, go and preach the gospel. So they do that. And then left and right, they're getting arrested by the Pharisees, by the Romans, just thrown before courts. And they're told, basically, stop preaching the gospel. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Romans, they all see the gospel as a threat. They don't like it. But Peter and John just keep preaching the gospel, and the rest of the disciples follow. And the church is blowing up, and it's getting huge, and tons of people are getting saved out of Judaism into the Christian movement. And so... In chapter six, we open up with kind of like this very just like we went from crazy action to like normal everyday problems. So let's look at verse one of chapter six. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, what's a Hellenistic Jew? Here's what it is. It's a Jew that is Jew by blood, right? They've got parents and grandparents and great-grandparents that were Jewish, but they've been born into a Greek culture. So it'd be like if you were like, you know, a hundred percent Mexican, but you were born into an extremely American culture. So when you go to visit your family in Mexico, they're like, what is wrong with you? You're nothing like us. Like you're, you're like the people in California. What on earth happened to you? Some of you guys maybe have experienced that kind of whitewashing. Anyway, um, so that's the Hellenistic Jews. They're Jewish by blood, but Greek by nature because they've been born into the Greek lifestyle. They don't read the Torah. They don't care about the traditions, but they've been saved. And so now you've got the Jews who are like the hardcore, like traditional Jews. And then you've got these other Jews who are like, we didn't get any of that. Like we didn't grow up reading about Moses or any of that stuff. Like we just know Jesus is great. So Back to verse one. (laughs) The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebrew Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 disciples gathered all the disciples together and said, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Guys, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to the prayer and ministry of the word. So this pleased everybody, and they chose Stephen and a bunch of other guys, and they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. What's the result? The widows got taken care of. The word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Okay, so stop there. So, other ways that we've heard this message taught is usually there's a focus on choosing responsible people to be in ministry. So it's like, oh yeah, like they chose Stephen and uh, some of these other guys who were full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So it's like, that's where this message usually goes. It's like a talk about how to choose people for the ministry. But I decided last week to teach about justice, biblically justice, or biblical justice, not biblically justice. Because this issue to me, like, totally seems like one we'd see today. Because what do we see all the time today? We see people saying, I'm being discriminated against. That's what's going on here. It's a claim of racial discrimination. You've got in the church a bunch of Jews who are actually kind of Greeks saying, hey, the Jews who are like the true Jews, 
because that's what you guys call them, right? Like, they're getting special treatment. Like, their widows, the, their women whose husbands have died, they get taken care of. What about our widows? Like, just because we didn't grow up in the Jewish community, just because we weren't raised reading about Moses and Aaron and all those stories, like, you, you look at us like second-class citizens. It's basically what we're saying. So there's this issue of, like, someone in the church says, hey, I'm being discriminated against. And I think... In the world, we've seen, especially in the last couple years, we've seen how the world handles that. We see how the world handles discrimination and claims of discrimination and protest and all that kind of stuff. And I love how the Bible handles it. The Bible shows us what true justice looks like. So we're going to watch the Bible Project video up to the point where we left off last week, and then we'll get into some discussion on this. So here's the first part of the video. If you were a praying mantis, it would be socially acceptable to devour your mate. And if you're a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals. You don't care. If you're a panda with twins, it's normal to abandon one to take care of the other. But if humans do any of these things, we would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Yeah, why is that? Why do humans care so much about justice? Well, the Bible has a fascinating response to that question. On page one, humans are set apart from all other creatures as the image of God. Yeah, God's representatives who rule the world by his definition of good and evil. And this identity, it's the bedrock of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who you are. And that would be nice if we all did that. But we know how the world really works. And the Bible addresses that too. It shows how we are constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of others. Yeah, self-preservation. And the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them. And so in the biblical story, we see this happening on a personal level, but also in families, and then in communities, and in whole civilizations that create injustice, especially towards the vulnerable. But the story doesn't end there. Out of this whole mess, God chose a man named Abraham to start a new kind of family. Specifically, Abraham was to teach his family to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Yeah, doing righteousness, that's a Bible word I don't really use, but what comes to mind is being a good person. But what does that even mean, being good? The biblical Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah, and it's more specific. It's an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God. With the God-given dignity they deserve. And this word justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat. It can refer to retributive justice. Like if I steal something, I pay the consequences. Exactly. Yet most often in the Bible, mishpat refers to restorative justice. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. Yeah, some people call this charity. But mishpat involves way more. It means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. So justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life. Yeah, and you find this idea all over the Bible. Like here, in the book of Proverbs, what does it mean to bring about just righteousness? Open your mouth for those who can't speak for themselves. And what do these words mean for the prophets, like Jeremiah? Rescue the disadvantaged and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And like here, look in the book of Psalms. The Lord God upholds justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, 
and sets the prisoner free, but he thwarts the way of the wicked. Whoa, he thwarts the wicked? Yeah, in Hebrew, the word wicked is rasha. It means guilty or in the wrong. It refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring their dignity as an image of God. So justice and righteousness is a big deal to God. So this is stuff to think about. It's really easy to just read Acts chapter 6 and just kind of glance over it and be like, eh, yeah, there was some women who got upset about something and they were like, hey... I'm upset, and then they were like, ah, we got to deal with it because, you know, we're the pastors, and, but we can't stop spreading the word of God, so we need to get some other guys to do it. Like, that's how we could just look at it, but I think it's so much deeper because this passage shows us God's heart for justice in the church. And um, basically, I'm just going to go through the questions that we did last week really quickly to kind of give you guys a baseline for where we were last week. The first question is, this is, when we did this together, I asked the questions to the audience and then they responded to me. I'm not going to do that with this part because we already did it last week. But the question was, why should we care about others? Like for the disciples, why should they care about those women who are saying, hey, we're not being taken care of. We're being racially discriminated against. Why should they care? Is it because like they were being really annoying and it was the only way to get them to stop? No. The reason that we talked about was that all humans are made in the image of God. That's the reason that we do justice in the world is because you look at anybody out there, like rich person, poor person, homeless person, person with a home. You look at anybody. Why do they deserve love? Why do they deserve respect? And why do they deserve you as a Christian going out of your way to help? Is it because they've done something for you? Is it because they've earned it? Is it because, no. Like that's, that's what we think of in social media. In social media, why do you like a post? Because you feel like that person has deserved your like. So for some people, it's because you see a post and you're like, oh, I really like that. Like, dang, that's a rad post. Double tap, like. Other times, it's that person is your friend so that you have, they've earned an allegiance from you. So that means that no matter what, even if their post is stupid, you're still gonna like it because they're your friend. Like, that's just how it works. But in God's economy, we actually, it's, it'd be kind of like, if, uh, if we went out of our way on social media, like on Instagram, to hunt down the people with like the lamest accounts ever, where it's just like you look at their post and you're like, oh, this is just a selfie of this person making the same face like a hundred times. Like no one wants to see that. Like it'd be like going to that person's social media and like blowing it up and just giving them likes and comments and just like encouragement and like, hey, I'm, I'm praying for you and you're awesome and God loves you. Like even though by all social media standards, they don't deserve it. That's actually justice in God's eyes. It's treating everyone with love because they're made in the image of God. Um, we talked about what are some examples of injustice we see in our world today. One that came up was uh, abortion and the unborn. Um, in that video, uh, notice, remember the pandas, right? Oh, and by the way, did you guys love that little honey badger reference, right? I thought that was great. He's like, if you're a honey badger, you don't care. I, I thought that was great. Anyway, that was the thing back in the day. Okay, so um, the panda, right? The panda in panda culture, it's fine if you have two babies just to throw out one. Isn't that similar to our culture? In our culture, if you have a baby in your womb, if there is a baby growing inside of you, but that baby is an inconvenience to you, our culture says just chuck it out, just get rid of it. Um, that's injustice because that is somebody who can't speak for themselves. 
that's somebody who can't defend themselves, and yet they're being oppressed. They're being killed, and they can't do anything about it. Another thing we talked about was racism is another thing, absolutely. Um, slavery is still going on today, even though in our country, thankfully, we don't have racial uh, African-American slavery. What do we have in our country? There's sex slavery. The Super Bowl every year is the highest um, event that brings in sex trafficking of young girls who are bought and sold into sex slavery. And this doesn't just happen in our country, it happens all around the world. These are big examples of injustice. A small example of injustice is gossip at school, right? Like you're at school and people are putting down someone else, spreading lies, spreading rumors about them. They didn't do anything, like th th or even if they did something, right? Gossip. It's an injustice because it's putting someone else down in order to elevate yourself. So there's big injustice, but there's also small injustice that happens on a small scale. Um, we talked about what is God's definition of righteousness. God's definition of righteousness is right relationship with others, okay? Just like a father, if a father is going to have right relationship, if he's going to be righteous to his kids, it means he's tucking them in at night, he's reading them stories if they're little, he's providing and working and making money to, to feed them. Like, that is righteous. So God is always righteous. He has a relationship with you and me. He's always right. He's always just, even though sometimes we fail. We talked about what's the difference between justice and righteousness. Matt nailed it. Um, so this was the definition. Um, so righteousness, the standard of right relationship between people, justice, mishpat, is the action you do to create it. So basically, righteousness is the standard of right relationship between people. Justice is what you do in the world to create righteousness. Here's an example, okay? So you're in school, again, the gossip situation. People are gossiping. That's injustice, okay? They're putting down someone else. So then you stand up for that person Go into the gossip zone, <laughs> the gossip zone. Sounds like a podcast. Welcome to the gossip zone. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> but, you know, you go into the gossip zone and you diffuse the situation. You say, hey, guys, we really shouldn't be talking about her. We really shouldn't be putting him down. He's actually a great guy. She's actually awesome. Like, you should give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's just, let's stop this. You're actually doing action. You're doing justice because you're creating righteousness. And then even better, a great way to do justice to create righteousness is when there's people who are fighting and you become a peacemaker. So let's say you've got brothers and sisters, like we talked about last week. They're fighting, they're going crazy, and you go into the situation and you say, hey guys, let's pray, let's get our eyes back on Jesus, let's talk this out. By the end of it, your brother and sister are just hugging it out, and you have done justice by creating right relationship. I know this is a lot, okay, but we're just doing an overview right now. And then we talked about changing social structures in the name of justice, which was an awesome topic. Like, so a way to do that, we talked about last week, was like how Jesus says in his parable, um, I love Jesus. Jesus is so revolutionary. He's like, if you're throwing a big party and like the rich guy comes in the room, what do you do? You say, hey, come on in. Like, and you know, for you guys, it'd be like the popular kid. You're like, oh, sit at the head of our table. Like you just right here, everyone's around you. And then like the late, the lame loser kid comes in. You're like, oh, sorry, our group's kind of full. Like you'd kind of ruin our vibe if you sat with us. That's what we do, okay? We, we have our friend group. We have our vibe. We don't want anyone to ruin it. You know what Jesus says? He says in a parable, he says, when you throw a party, you reserve the best seat in the house for the lame, loser, beggar. And when he comes in, you're like, there's the guy. This guy's awesome. And you give him the best seat 
And then um, when the rich guy comes, actually the rich guy's already there. He helped set up the party and he picked the, the lame seat for himself. He picks the lower seat because he wants the poor person to come in and just be blessed. So that's the upside down kingdom of Jesus. So anyway, those are the things we talked about last week. Let's get to this week. So there is two types of justice, retributive and restorative. Okay, so let's say I'm walking down the street and someone stabs me. Is that justice or injustice? Injustice, right. But then let's say that we go to court and I'm like, this guy stabbed me. He's probably gonna stab other people. He should be in jail. And the judge is like, uh, no, he's probably fine. Is that justice or injustice? It's injustice as well. It's injustice to everyone around because now they're in danger of being stabbed by this guy. And it's actually injustice to the stabber because now he's in a position where he can continue harming other people and it actually harms himself to be doing those things. So it's very important to have that kind of justice. But the cool thing is, Jesus always pushes us not to just uh, retributive justice, which is like putting people in jail, punishing them. He brings us to do that, yeah, for sure. As a culture, we, we definitely should like punish people who do crimes. But then he also talks about restorative justice. So that is where restorative justice is where, okay, the stabber's in jail because he stabbed somebody. But then you, as a part of a prison ministry, go to the jail and talk to the stabber and tell him about Jesus and his love and forgiveness, and you offer him a chance to be forgiven and saved, so now he's going to heaven. So that's, that's kind of the full circle. Does that make sense? So yeah, we definitely, we definitely need that side of things. We just, we're just going to move on. So now we're going to watch a part of a video and then talk about it. Here we go. So justice and righteousness is a big deal to God. Yes, it's what Abraham's family, the Israelites, were to be all about. They ended up as immigrant slaves, being oppressed unjustly in Egypt. And so God confronted Egypt's evil, declaring them to be rasha, guilty of injustice. And so he rescued Israel. But the tragic irony of the Old Testament story is that these redeemed people went on to commit the same acts of injustice against the vulnerable. And so God sent prophets who declared Israel guilty. Okay, so here's a great question. According to the Bible, who is wicked and who is righteous, Israel or her enemies? Anybody want to take a stab at it? Both? Thank you, Brants. Yes, both. When I grew up reading the Bible, when you're in children's ministry, you have this very black and white picture where it's Israel is good, everyone else is bad. But the reality is Israel is full of sinners just like everyone else. Christianity, the church, it's full of sinners just like everyone else. In Romans 3, verses 10 through 12, it says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one, that's pretty harsh. But that's the reality of our state without Jesus. Without Christ, we're not righteous. Without Yahweh, Israel was not righteous. Why is it so easy for us to point out the wickedness of others but miss our own. Here's the next part of the video. But they weren't the only ones. There's injustice everywhere. Yeah, some people actively perpetrate injustice. Others receive benefits or privileges from unjust social structures they take for granted. And sadly, history has shown that when the oppressed gain power, they often become oppressors themselves. So we all participate in injustice, actively or passively, even unintentionally. We're all the guilty ones. And so this is the surprising message of the biblical story. God's response to humanity's legacy of injustice 
is to give us a gift, the life of Jesus. He did righteousness and justice, and yet he died on behalf of the guilty. But then God declared Jesus to be the righteous one when he rose from the dead. And so now Jesus offers his life to the guilty so that they too can be declared righteous before God, not because of anything they've done, but because of what Jesus did for them. Awesome. So here is the next question that we're just going to talk about up here. How do we participate in injustice? Any thoughts on that? Like us, like, or even just like on a broader sense, like people in 2018, but like how do we participate? Yeah. Yeah, being prejudiced, judging people by their looks or their race or like how well they're dressed. Yeah, absolutely. Anybody else? Yeah. Well, for me, it's like passively doing it. Like I see injustice instead of stepping up and like saying like, no, this isn't right. Hmm. Just like passively allow it. Yeah. So that's something, I was listening to a podcast and a guy was talking about this idea of holding the coats I'd never heard that expression before, but he actually brought up the chapter that Matt is teaching next week. So um, there's a guy named Stephen. This is going to be spoiler alert, but if you've grown up in the church, you probably know this. Um, there's a guy named Stephen. He's a Christian, and he gets, like, stoned to death. Like, they throw rocks at him for, because he's a Christian. And it says that Saul, um, he wasn't stoning them. There's going to be this new character we're introduced to called Saul, who's going to be the Apostle Paul, uh, later on, he's going to become a Christian, but right now he's a Pharisee. And it says he's not there stoning, he's not the one throwing, but he's holding everybody's coats. He's standing there watching it happen. And he said, when we just stand there and let people get dumped on and let people get abused and we don't step up and do anything, when people are being bullied at school or gossiped about or yelled at or whatever and we just like let it happen and we're like, well, that's not my problem and that'd be too complicated to get involved with to help them, it's holding the coats. It reminded me, like I told you last week, of uh, my friend at school who uh, ended up being gay. Like he got expelled from our school and I just stopped talking to him, and I, it was like, it was the early 2000s, and back then, like, homosexuality hadn't really become, like, this huge thing in culture, and so the way that my friends treated this guy was kind of like he was dead to us. It was just kind of like, well, like, I guess we're never seeing him again, and I just remember people gossiped about him, all this stuff, and it was, I was totally holding the coats. I was just, I, was, I wasn't talking bad about him, but I didn't reach out. I didn't say, hey, I'm praying for you, man. Like, hey, like, dude, I know this is really hard for you. Like, if you need anything, like, let's talk. I didn't do that, and I really honestly regret that. So really briefly, let's ask the question, what can we do to fight against it? Like, what can we do to not participate? What can we do to not hold the coats? What can we do on a regular basis at school or at home or in life to fight against injustice? So talk with your groups and try to come up with some real actual examples of stuff that you guys go through on a regular basis. Okay, good stuff? Yeah? Cool. Let's move on. So... How do we escape injustice? Because the reality is, like, injustice will follow you everywhere. Like, you'll start to realize that, like, there's no escaping it. I had a friend once who was like, I'm not going to eat at this place because they're 
coffee beans are like grown under slave labor or something. And we, we were like, okay, but, and we started to break it down like pretty much everything you're involved in, like your clothes, like this iPhone was probably made in some sweatshop in Asia or something, like everything in our life is a product of injustice. And we live in a world where injustice is everywhere. Like our, the, the ground we stand on was like taken by Indians, like our, our history of our country was, you know, in the early days, like all of our stuff was built on the back of like slave labor and all this stuff. And then if you go even beyond America, pretty much every country in the world at some point had a crazy gnarly war where someone took land from someone else and killed a bunch of people. So literally every country in the world has its roots. Like the entire human history is built on injustice, not just our country, okay? Every single country in the world is built on war and violence and killing and all, like, you can't escape it. Like, history is just full of injustice. So how do we, as Christians, look at it? Here's a few practical ways. One, accept that God is perfect and just. Everything he does is always just. Even if you're reading something in the Bible and you're like, that seems kind of crazy or gnarly or violent, you have to come to a place where you realize that God is just. And number two, humans are unjust. And then you have to come to a place where you accept God's righteousness, what that, or God's righteousness. What that means is God has kind of like this blanket of righteousness where he is always right, he is always good. He wants to cover you with that. He wants to say, hey, step underneath my covering and become a part of my righteousness. And the amazing thing is when we accept Jesus, like we are covered. And so the reality is you and I participate in justice in big ways. Like again, we're a part of a history of injustice. Like we can't escape that. That's a part of our history. But also we do injustice all the time. When you're rude to your mom, that's injustice. Like, when you like throw a candy wrapper on the ground, like that's injustice. When you sin, when you get angry, when you lust, when, like just there's so much injustice that we do on a regular basis, sometimes not even thinking about it. The amazing thing is being covered by God's righteousness is even though we do those things, God looks at us and he says, you're good, you're good. And that's not so that we have this free license where it's like, I can go sleep with my boyfriend or I can go like burn a house down or I can go like, you know what I mean? Like that's not the goal. The goal is for us to accept God's righteousness and then he continues to make us more like him on a daily basis. He continues to make us more just and more righteous. Um, I love this quote that I stole from another guy. Only when we are no longer concerned with trying to make ourselves righteous can we trust the one who wants to do it for us. Once we realize that we are only ever good because of God, we can fight the injustice around us with a humble heart. So, how does God respond to injustice? Three ways I want to talk about really quickly. The first way is the cross. So, the cross is God's ultimate answer to injustice, right? God is just, he makes Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit, they doom humanity, boom, injustice enters the world. How does God respond? He looks at all of history, he sees all the war, all the violence, all the abuse, all of the broken homes, all of the drunkenness, all of the adultery, he sees it all, all of human history. And how does he respond? With the cross. He sacrifices himself to fix the injustice of people who don't deserve it. That the cross lays out the core principle for us as Christians. Because again, you're gonna hear this message and you're gonna think, okay, so 
For people who deserve it, I'll be nice to them and kind to them. That's not how it works. God looked at humanity and said, you're not nice, you're not kind, you're unjust, and you're really wicked and you do bad things. I'm gonna love you, I'm gonna die on the cross for you, I'm gonna sacrifice for you. There, we were just talking um, in one of the groups I was in about how you know there was like this guy um, at school and it's like, man, like maybe I could be nice to him because he gets teased a lot, but he kind of deserves it because he's a jerk, so that's why he gets teased. So that right there is a perfect example. Like we think if a person's cool, if a person's chill, they've earned our friendship and we hang with them and we give them love and respect. The cross says you look at the jerks who don't deserve it and you love the jerks. Like it's really hard to love jerks. It's really hard to be nice to people who are horrible to you. That's the cross. And Jesus can help us do this. It doesn't mean you have to be like best friends with the jerk. It doesn't mean you have to like, you know, like invite the jerk to like sleepovers like every day or whatever. Like, I don't know if sleepovers still happen. Maybe that was a middle school thing. But you know what I mean? But it does mean that there are creative, awesome, amazing ways that you can love a jerk. And through the love of Jesus, you can actually help that person become more kind and lead them to Christ and change their entire world. So that's the first way, the cross. The second way is through the church. God does justice in the world. He responds to unrighteousness and injustice through the church. That's us, okay? Christ followers. He calls us to live out the message of Jesus. And the main way we can do this is by being servants. Like, being a servant is the number one way that you, as a Christian, can do these things. Um, I love an example of uh, Paul Prelly. He was um, the assistant, or not the assistant, he was the co-junior high pastor. Him and I led the junior high group for one year. It was an amazing year. And while I was getting to know Paul, um, he was a guy who told me about how um, every other year, him and his family decided that as a way for them to participate in love and servanthood and righteousness and justice, they actually skipped Christmas once a year, not just to be like, oh, like we skipped Christmas, like we were super spiritual. No, the reason that they did it was they took the money they normally spent on themselves and they bought gifts for other families that couldn't afford presents. And they reached out to homeless people and that sort of thing. And it was so cool because he did it with his two kids, Cedar and Selah, which I thought was so cool. Him and his wife, Jen, were amazing. And to me, that's awesome. It's, It's like people that they don't owe you anything. Like, they haven't done anything for you, but because Jesus said, I don't owe you anything and you haven't done anything for me, but I'm going to die for you, he models for us that we love other people this way. Um, I also love the example of Jesus washing the feet of others. And, you know, um, if you go back to Acts chapter 6 where we were, you'll notice that the um, disciples were like, when this crazy discussion arose about the the widows, they were like, well, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. That's what I love about uh, Bible college students like Matt because, uh, you know, you and your friends, you are just all the time studying the word of God, but then you're also waiting tables too. You guys have that whole ministry where you guys like serve people who come through the conferences. I think it's great. I think it's great to be a servant. How many of you guys are a servant? Like, here's the thing. I've seen people your age like get really involved in church and they grow up and they're my age and they become like a church workaholic where they're just like, I've got to do all these things in the church because everyone expects me to do it. That's not what I'm talking about. But here's what I'm talking about. I'm saying, find your place. Find a way to serve. Every single one of you guys in your life in some way can find a way to serve. 
You guys, some of you guys can lead worship for junior high or children's ministry. You can help out in the nursery. Some of you guys can just like make it your ministry to step it up around the house and do things that your parents haven't even asked you to do. Some of you guys can mentor students who are younger than you or even your siblings. Like you can make it your ministry. Imagine that saying, you know what, God, for the next year, 2018, I'm going to dedicate to you one hour a week to mentor my little brother or sister. I'm going to get together with them, and I'm going to read the Bible with them. I'm going to ask them how they're doing. I'm going to disciple them. Like, guys, ministry is not just stuff you do in this building. Like, ministry is all over the place. So find your ministry opportunity. Like, every single one of you guys is called to serve. Don't just be a consumer. Be someone who serves. And be willing to do anything. Be willing to set up chairs, tear down chairs. One day, you just might get called to speak or lead worship while you're setting up those chairs. Or one day, you might be called to set up chairs when you're a speaker or a worship leader. When I was traveling through Ireland, I got asked to speak all over at different churches. It was awesome. It was like such a cool experience. I went to one church and I was like, hey, what can I do? Like, I can teach, I can speak, like I can help with youth ministry. They were like, you know what? We really could use someone to set up chairs on Sunday. And I was like, that's amazing. Yes, let's do it. And I wasn't like, do you know who I am? Like, I, I'm a youth pastor of a group that ranges from about 20 to sometimes 35 people. Let me tell you, like, I am big news. No, like, I was like, dude, yes, like, I, I don't need to speak. Like, I would love to set up chairs. It's amazing. Just always have the, the mentality that nothing is too big and nothing is too small. We're all a part of the family of God and we're all called to serve. So the third way that God responds to injustice in the world is through the kingdom of God, which is the promise of a place where there'll be no more injustice. No more. And so I'll use a modern example, okay? So I'll use two modern examples, okay? So some of you guys probably come from families that are a little political, you know? And maybe they've got CNN or Fox News going on in the background or whatever, and they're really into all that stuff. And maybe, like me, you grew up in an environment where you kind of just saw things one way. You know, I grew up conservative, so I grew up thinking that, like, anything a Republican did, like, Jesus was, like, giving a high five and was like, you're awesome, go for it, like, I bless you. And then I realized later on that, like, God doesn't call people to be Republicans or Democrats. He calls them to be Christians. Um, so you're dealing with a homeless person, right? Let's say you see a homeless person on the street. That's injustice. You're like, what? What are you talking about? Like, if you, if you're a, if you come from a conservative background like me, your initial thought is, he probably deserves it. He didn't work. He, he needs a job. Like, it's his own fault. He put himself in this mess, right? That's the standard kind of conservative way of thinking. But what does God say? God says every human is made in the image of God. Every person deserves love and respect. So there's two ways to look at it in our, because in America, there's two ways of looking at things, conservative or liberal. Those are the two boxes you get put into. That's like the sorting hat from Harry Potter or like the, you know, districts from Divergent or whatever. Like that's, that's all we've got to work with in America. We've got these two ways of looking at the world, right? I want to present to you a third way, okay? So let's say you grew up conservative, you see a homeless person. Your thought is... It is just that this person is homeless because it's their fault. It, it's, they did it to themselves. They probably got drunk or a drug addiction and they're on the street. It's their fault. And it would be, actually be unjust for you to take my money and give it to them. 
right? So then let's say you're a liberal, and you see this person. You say, oh, it's unjust, and it's the 1%'s fault, right? Like the, the rich people, it's, that, it's their specific fault. They made that guy homeless, and it would be just for you to give him all your money, right? So who is forgotten in the, home, or in the argument? It's the homeless man. Like everyone's so focused on the left or right, they forget about the homeless man. So they're looking at it from a left or right lens. I wanna to present to you guys the third way, the kingdom lens, okay? This is how I'm trying to look at everything in my life. So I look at the homeless man and I don't think he deserves it or he doesn't deserve it, tax the rich to steal their money and give it to the homeless man. That's not what I think. You know what I think? I think this is a beautiful human being made in the image of God who deserves love and respect, not because he did anything to deserve it, but because God says that he's worthy of it. So I'm not gonna go take money from a rich person to give it to him. And I'm not gonna say, you go get a job, you punk. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go to Jack in the Box. I'm gonna buy a sandwich and I'm gonna bring it to him and sit down with him and say, hey, tell me your story. Like, how'd you get homeless? What's going on? Here's a sandwich. Can I pray for you? What's going on, man? Did you know God loves you? Let me tell you about Jesus. That's the third way. And it's so much better. Like, just that's the way to look at the world. It's It's amazing. So let's end with this. Um, Actually, let's finish the video, and then we'll go back. So we're going to finish the video, and then we'll talk really quick at the end. Here we go. The earliest followers of Jesus experienced this righteousness from God, not just as a new status, but as a power that changed their lives and compelled them to act in surprising new ways. Yeah, if God declared someone righteous when they didn't deserve it, The only reasonable response is to go and seek righteousness and justice for others. This is a radical way of life, and it's not always convenient or easy. It's courageously making other people's problems my problems. This is what Jesus meant by loving your neighbor as yourself. It's about a lifetime commitment fueled by the words of the ancient prophet Micah. God has told you, humans, what is good and what the Lord requires of you is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To end, in what ways is following Jesus radical and different concerning justice than the the way the world works, okay? From the way our typical left-right paradigm works. What does that look like, okay? Just let's talk about that with one another. Um, He talked about making other people's problems your problems. That's tough, that's tough, because sometimes, you know, let's say there's somebody who has a problem in your school or in your life, and you're looking at everything we're talking about, it's like, you know, make that person's problems your problems, come support them, but it's hard because sometimes you don't fully support them. Sometimes you're like, man, like, the way this person acts, like, I can't get behind that, or this person's in sin, like, I don't know what to do, so it's, it's tough. It's tough to be supportive of people and love people while also dealing with some of the gray areas. So congratulations, you guys made it through a complex, just deep thinking, crazy session with a seminary level video discussion course. So well done. Um, Here's something I wanna end with, okay? So we live in a world right now where there's a lot of protest going on. Everywhere, just there's African-American people protesting against police and military. There's police protesting against the other side. 
There's people protesting about like statues, you know, that whole thing, like take down the Confederate statues. And there's, there's just like constantly, women are just protesting like everything with the Women's March and all that stuff. So this is what I've seen on both sides. I like to cruise Facebook sometimes and I see old people on both sides and all they do is they just try to destroy one another. Like they just try to just demolish and say, this is why you're wrong and this is why you're stupid. It happens on both sides. Just shut you down, just get out of there. That's what I see all the time. And this is something the Lord gave me recently. Um, he just, I was thinking of all this and he spoke to me and he said, Aaron, there's pain behind every protest, okay? Um, there's pain behind protest. And that doesn't just go with like the big things going on in the world, that goes with um, your life. Your sibling gets mad at you, your mom gets mad at you because you didn't do something, right? Our natural response is to get defensive and defend ourselves. We need to realize that behind every protest, there's pain. And our job as Christians is not to tell people why they're wrong and demolish people logically. Our job is to look at the pain behind the protest and point people to Jesus. Like let's say, you know, you guys go to college and you go to some non-Christian college and there's some protest going on, there's some rally going on, like, and there's two sides, right? Your job is not to pick a side. Like your job is not to be like, okay, these guys are right and these guys are wrong and I'm gonna destroy these guys and I'm gonna fight with these. Like your job is to actually be the person who stands in the middle and looks at the pain in both sides and points both sides to Jesus. Yeah. Oh yeah, you can definitely have an opinion. Like a great example, I think one of the easiest examples is like, like it, let's say we're in Vista and like a group of straight up Nazis comes to Vista and they're dressed like Hitler and they painted on Hitler mustaches and they're like, death to everyone but us. Like that's definitely a thing where like, I'm gonna have an opinion and I'll be like, okay, those guys are definitely wrong. Like we, somebody should shut that down. Um, one of the best examples I thought of that uh, or that I saw was, uh, I read this article about, um, there was some Nazis that came to a town and did a march, and the way that like this nonviolent, peaceful group like went against them was they hired a tuba player to follow the Nazis around and just play the entire time they were marching, so it just totally de delegitimized everything they were doing, which was awesome. Um, but here's what I'm saying, like the goal is not to be like, oh yeah, Nazis are obviously wrong, so I'm gonna fight Nazis. Like actually the goal is to like get in there, stand in the middle and be the person who actually like points Nazis to Jesus and like speaks truth to them. And it's like, hey, like you guys are wrong, but I'm not just gonna try to destroy you intellectually. I wanna point you to Jesus. I wanna point you to forgiveness and redemption. Like I wanna see you get saved out of your Nazism. And then on the other side to like find the people who've been hurt by that and to point them to Jesus. Because that's the thing. With protests, you're always gonna find people who are bitter and angry. Um, and when I'm talking, I'm talking about like victims. Like in protests when there's people who have been like victimized and hurt, a lot of times they channel that into anger. So one of the best things you can do is to point them past their anger and show them Jesus who restores and, and helps people who've been victimized and helps people. The goal is always to point people to Jesus is what I'm saying. So yes, have opinions. Like I'm not saying just like erase your mind and clear your head and don't ever think of anything and just be like Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Like that's not what I'm saying. Yes, have opinions. Like have opinions that are different than mine. That's great, I love it. Um, but at the end of the day, Jesus. So anyway, it's like 1238, so did you? I was gonna say, so like what you're saying is that 
Yeah. Yeah, and try to be a peacemaker. Like, try to not just, like, because there's always sides where it's good and evil, you know? And our mindset is, like, evil, we blow them up. We blow up the Death Star. We throw the ring into the volcano and just destroy the bad guy. But Jesus calls us to stand in the middle and be peacemakers. Does that make sense? Cool. All right, let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for this time to discuss things and think about things. We, lo- we love you so much. I pray that you bless these kids. Just, I pray that this message would just be one that would plant a little seed in their heart that would grow in effect just as they head off into college and even practically in their schools. God, there's ways that you want to use this. So, God, we thank you that you're just. We thank you that you're, you're righteous. And we thank you, God, that you want to create justice and righteousness in our world, even though we don't deserve it. God, help us to stop thinking about these things as just, you know, getting what we deserve or I'm a good person, so I get this. Help us to realize that there's no one righteous except you and that all of us are called to love people, even the people it's hard to love, even the, the cruel people or the mean people or the jerks in the world. God, you call us to even reach out to them. So I pray that we'd leave here today on a mission to restore people to right relationship. Lord, help us to look for the poor and the weak in our schools, those who don't have friends. Help us to look for even the jerks, Lord, who don't deserve it. Help us to love them and and preach the good news to them and, and befriend them and point them to you. Help us, God, to see the pain behind every protest. And God, not to be people who are prideful, but to be people who love you and want to fight, Lord, to bring people to see who you are and what you're doing. We love you, and we pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen, guys.